Where are you going, Zach? There you are. He said, I was gone last week. And what, we start a whole new series? We're going to be in a whole year? What's up with that? We did start a new series last week, and the series is called The Church on Fire. If you have been paying attention, I was so busy last week, I didn't even realize about these major fires that were taking place in California. I knew there was some in Colorado, but those dwarf in comparison to what's going on in California. Do you know how those things got started? At least one portion of them got started? A hunter was out in the, in the woods, and he got lost. So he sent up a flare. Now, I don't know how big a flare a hunter would carry around, but it's real, probably a relatively small flare. Probably didn't have a flare gun or nothing. Just a little flare that he set off. That's what my hope for this series is for us. A church on fire, or the church on fire, happens by a few people who do what Deuteronomy 10 said, as we read in the, in the uh, opening there. Letting their hearts be open to God to move. And all of a sudden, it just, it just, it's out of control. Now, fires that are going towards San Diego, that is bad. Fires that happen like this, where God does something in our lives and does something in you personally, and as a result, it just, metaphorically speaking here, burns up everybody around you, is a good thing. Lives are changed. Cities are changed. Schools are changed. As individuals start to say, you know what, God, I want you to use me. Just use me. I want to be a straw that you blow through. Use me, God. If you have that kind of mentality, wow. Not only your life, but the life of this church and the life of this city, life of our nation can really be changed. We're taking three weeks and we're looking at two verses and then we're going to take another week and kind of introduce the book of Acts. The Acts mean the Acts of the Apostles. There were 12 of them. And, 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 of course, one of them betrayed Jesus. So there's only 11. They pick another one. You'll find out here shortly. And it's what happens to those faithful men as they, as they follow Christ and just let the Holy Spirit work through them. It's amazing. We're looking at the first two verses. And we're really just going to look at the last uh, six words of that first two verses. But let's just read the two verses of Acts again. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, Luke is writing... He's writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Next week, we're going to look at the end of Luke's gospel and what Jesus did at the end there in Luke's gospel. Because Luke and Acts are really two volumes. It's a sequel. It's Luke 2, in a sense. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. If you remember now, uh, we didn't have time to go through all 12 apostles last week. So this week we're going to finish up with four more apostles. To those apostles that Christ had chosen. And if you look how Luke describes it, it's very interesting. In Luke chapter 6, by the way, we're going to use a lot of scripture this morning. If you're really good with the Bible, I encourage you to flip. If you're not, just, just and even if, even if you are, you may just want to pay attention to the screen because we're going to, I mean, I want to look at these disciples in rapid succession here, so hang on. Uh, Luke chapter 6, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes and he says, One of those days Jesus went, on up, excuse me, went out to a mountainside to pray. He has a major decision to make. Who are the 12 disciples going to be? Who are these men who are going to represent all of early Christianity? 
12 guys. He goes on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. So he called all his followers, more than just the 12. We often call them the disciples, but disciple just means learner. So there was many, many of them. He calls all of them himself, and he picks out of them 12, chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was the zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Last week, I introduced you to six of these men. Just very briefly, we'll go through them again. Philip, we just went in order here. Philip, uh, starting after the Fab Four, which we'll talk about today. Philip, he was a slow learner. We're going to see him again. Where he fails, actually, we're going to find Andrew passes the test. But, but he fails the test. And he's a slow learner. He out many times comes to Christ and just doesn't get what Jesus is talking about. Yet Jesus changes him. Uh, Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel. In the book of John, we find out that Nathaniel is someone who, remember he said, what good can come from Nazareth? And I use the example of Wisconsin, which is really, really... Are you just trying to distract me there, Brian? Sit down this Packers dead center right there. I don't know what the deal is. Jeez. Uh, anyway... Nathaniel says, uh, what good can come from Nazareth? And he's, he's kind of stuck in tradition. And Jesus rocks his world and says, it's about a relationship with me and, me and not just necessarily a, your traditions. And then we looked at Matthew, who is probably one of the most outcast of the whole crew, being a tax collector, a traitor, someone who just stabbed the, uh, the Jews in the back by, by taking sides with the Romans and were taking the Jewish people's money. Ugh, slimy. This guy was slimy. Don't put the disciples on some like high pedestal. This guy was he. This sounded he he probably laugh, probably laugh like that. He Matthew was slimy, okay. And yet Matthew writes a gospel. He falls so in love with Jesus. He has a heart for the for those who were like himself, traitors and outcasts. I'm sure the other disciples despised Matthew at first. Thomas Thomas gets a bum rap. Where else call him doubting Thomas? But Thomas is the one who, remember, says, let's go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. He's the one who, you know, he says, I just want to see proof. And Jesus honors that proof where he says, I have to see his hands and his side or I won't believe. And Jesus says, here, Thomas, touch it, see it. Jesus honors honest questions. If you're here today and you have honest questions, the Lord wants to answer those. The Lord doesn't want to answer tricky questions, though. He's not into tricky questions. You get no answer from tricky questions. But honest questions, the Lord loves to answer those. Thomas is the one who declares my Lord and my God at the, at the end and declares that Christ is both Lord and God. Then we saw James, the son of Alphaeus, who we know basically nothing about. Church tradition says that he preached in Persia and Iran and, and was crucified there, but we really don't know a whole lot about James. And yet Jesus took him as one of the twelve. He was not a great extrovert. He was someone who just stayed in the crowd. And maybe that's the type of person you are. And yet Jesus chose him at one of the twelve. Simon, who was called the zealot. Simon was someone who, you know, he was out for political power and wanted Jesus to take over. And Jesus said, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen one life at a time. The kingdom of God is not like a political kingdom. It's going to come differently, Simon. Judas, the son of James. Poor guy. I mean, he was probably the last guy who ever was named Judas. I mean, 
He always goes by Judas, son of, you know, son of James, or Thaddeus was another name. He just didn't want to go by Judas. Or sometimes in Scripture it's called him the other Judas, you know. That's basically all we know about Judas. There's not a whole lot. He was someone who also wanted Christ to take over quickly. And Jesus said it's not going to happen that way. And lastly, we looked at Judas Iscariot, who was part of the whole process and missed it. Who had a heart that was bent on being a certain way, who has a heart that it was going to happen this way. Perhaps, like Judas, uh, the other Judas and uh, Simon, they wanted political power to come in. And when, perhaps when Judas saw that that wasn't going to happen, his heart got hard and said, I'll turn him over. He's a, he's a traitor to my cause. I'm happy to turn him over. That was last week. This week... We're going to meet the Fab Four. Those of you who are not old enough, that was the Beatles. Uh, the, the, but the real Fab Four is Peter and Andrew and James and John. Now, this is a really interesting deal. These guys were the closest to Jesus. In fact, if you read, if you read all the accounts where Jesus does special things, uh, it, it's, it's always these four, or sometimes Andrew is not part of it, and it's James, Peter, and John who are part of the Fab Three, I guess. So there's always a real tight closeness. And these guys were two sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew were brothers, and James and John were brothers. And they were all part of a fishing industry. James and John had a dad named Zebedee. What a great name. Give a shiny dime to the first person who names their kid Zebedee. Uh, nobody named him, uh, what was it last week? Uh, Theophilus, yeah, last week. Uh, money's still out there, huh? Zebedee owned a fishing business. It was a pretty big business because we'd find out if we had time, we'd follow it through. And you can see that Zebedee was powerful enough to know the high priest. And that's how Peter and John get access to Jesus when he's on trial. Because John was uh, Zebedee's son. You've got James and John who are Zebedee's kids and you've got Peter and Andrew. We're not sure who his father was, but they have this fishing industry together and there's hired men. It's a whole big outfit. And these guys, fishermen, fishermen, pretty blue collar. I mean, yeah, they had to be pretty smart to operate a business, but at the same time, these were not PhDs. These were not Bethel profs, Andy. These were not real smart guys, necessarily. These were ordinary people, really ordinary. And this is the inner circle. So if you're a plumber here today, praise God. Be a plumber to the glory of God. You could be in the inner circle. I mean, these guys set the world on fire. We're going to read in the first 12 chapters of Acts, it's primarily Peter. Peter, fisherman. The guy who's got a mouth the exact same size as his foot. He's always saying stupid things. And God uses this guy to change the world. Now, I want to look at... First, I want to look at the two brothers, James and John. It's hard to separate those two guys because they're always seen together, James and John. So let's take a look first at James and John. Let's look at how they got called into this business with Jesus. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. So Zebedee's sitting there. They're getting ready to fish. They're preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. What are you kids doing? Get back here and drop a line. Can you imagine? They just leave Zebedee sitting there in the boat. They immediately left to follow Jesus. This Jesus so intrigued them that they would that this Jesus, this awesome Christ, would ask them to be followers, said, I'm not passing up on this. Now, James and John are really unique. I mean, I never had a brother. I live in a in a household with three brothers now. And so I have a little feeling of what the, the dynamics are of brothers. These brothers were amazing. If they were in a room, like even a room this size, probably at any time, you'd hear them. They'd be the kind of guys who were loud. They'd be boisterous. Perhaps they were arrogant. I'm sure they just egged each other on. You know, I'm sure they were, even as, you know, Jesus is trying to teach something, James is going, stupid, you know, back of him or whatever. <laughs> These guys were loud. Jesus, remember, Jesus nicknames uh, Simon, he nicknames him Peter. He nicknames these guys sons of thunder. You can see that in Mark chapter 3. When, when Mark is listing the 12 disciples, he lists James in Mark 3.17, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name Beonarges, which means sons of thunder. Now, now think about that for a second. If you nickname somebody a son of thunder... Now, it could mean that Zebedee was still yelling because he was in the boat, right? He was thunder? I don't think so. Uh, if you just read other accounts of, of, and we'll see one in just a second, I think he was talking about James and John. These guys were loud. These guys were not soft. These guys were, were not meek. These were probably not the kind of people you'd want on a long trip because they'd have opinion about why did you turn here, you know, and just mouthing off at every single opportunity. These guys were just trouble. Let's just face it. These guys were just trouble. You can see it in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. There's an incident where Jesus is going to go. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's going to go through Samaria. Now, the Jews hate the Samaritans. And John and James, being good Jews, they hated the Samaritans too. So when Jesus goes through there, a bunch, you know, this band of Jewish people goes through Samaria... They don't get welcomed real well. Listen to what James and John do. Luke 9, verses 51 to 56. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus got a lot on his mind. I'm going to die. But listen to what James and John are worried about. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> Can you imagine that? You know what? I really didn't get a good welcome at this holiday inn. We're bringing fire down here upon your house. That's what James and John were like. Lord, and I love the way they answer it. They don't say, Jesus, you know, you should really do this. They said, no, you know what, Lord? We're just going to call down fire ourselves. 
we're going to call down some fire here. We're just a little ticked here. Get some service around here. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Duh. Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. I, I imagine Jesus was always doing damage control at James and John. Yeah, they're with me. They're a work in progress, okay? They're not reminiscent of my movement. <clears throat> you wonder where James and John got it from. Mama. Look at Matthew chapter... <laughs> Look at Matthew chapter 20 with me. Now, maybe Mama's mad because Mama's got to do the fishing that they left on. I don't know, but Mama's upset... Mama wants something pretty radical. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 24. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. Now realize, Jesus is a popular person and he's got 12 intimate followers. And Mama comes up and she says this. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, how many hands does he have? Two. Who, who's mama asking is on both sides? James and John. Jesus, it's up to you to decide which way. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I want my boys on the right and on the left. Oh, man. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. I don't know what they're saying. There's Jesus saying, can you suffer the kind of life I'm going to suffer? And he says, yeah, we can, we can. Jesus says, you will indeed drink from the cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. If you look further on in the account, especially if you look at other gospel accounts of this, it says, and the other disciples were indignant with James and John. Ticked! Now, I don't know if they were ticked because they didn't think to ask. <laughs> or that they, these guys would have the gall to recruit their mother to come and ask a question that they're all kind of thinking. You can just imagine what their little staff meetings on Monday mornings looked like. James and John spouting off and the other disciples trying to hold their own. These guys were hardcore. These guys were trouble. And look what Jesus does to them. John... John becomes, through tradition, we call John the apostle of love. Love is mentioned more times in the book of John and, and the other four. He, got, he, he wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which were letters in the book of Revelation. He's more concerned about love and sitting at the feet of Jesus than any other gospel writer. John! John, this guy, I mean, he's a meathead. And he's concerned about love. If you look at these four passages here, I'm not going to go on it, but when John writes his gospel, he never refers to himself as John. He just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Of course, Jesus loved all the disciples, but that fact alone was enough for John just to be taken. And if you look at this passage um, in John 13... He, John inserts something that's really interesting. It's, it's a situation where they're, where they're at the Last Supper and Jesus is saying one of them is going to betray them. And then in verse 22, his disciples stared at each other and at, at a loss to know what he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. 
Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, the the literal translation there, if you look at uh, King James or New American Standard, says he leaned against his bosom. Now, why, why, why do you write that? That has nothing to do with the story, right? He's going to ask him a question, but he inserts this. He leaned against his bosom. He snuggles up to Jesus. This is John, the, the, you know, the bonehead. And what he loves most is, I'm snuggled up to Jesus. That's transformation. That's the power of Christ in a man's life. At the end, when Jesus is on the cross and he sees his mother, who does he put in care of his mother, of Mary? Look at John 19. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. John! He gives the care of his mother, who we assume by now Joseph, his father, has died, his earthly father, of course, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but his earthly father dies and Mary has no one to take care of. Jesus gives the handling of Mary to John. And James, he gets the honor, and I mean this, he gets the honor of being the first disciple to be killed. In Acts chapter 12, and we'll see this in about six years when we get to Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And James dies. You see the transforming power of a man who's headstrong and even though we have to read between the white spaces here, someone says, I'll follow Jesus and I'm willing to die for him. That's transformation. Andrew. Let's take a look at Peter's brother, Andrew. How is Andrew called into this thing? Look in John chapter 1 with me in verse 35. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist, by the way. There's a lot of Johns in the New Testament. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and following and asked, what is it you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which when translated, is Peter. Now, this was not the actual where Jesus came and called him as his disciple, but just, or as his apostle, but just as a follower. We'll find out, we've already read that it's when he's in the boat, when they call him, calls him out. But this is a situation where Andrew goes and gets Peter. Andrew just loves to bring people to Jesus. We'll see that. And Andrew just has a heart. It's, it's totally unlike James and John, although Peter's very similar to James and John in the sense that he's very boisterous. Andrew's one of those, he's probably the younger brother because uh, Peter's listed first in every list. He's, he's more meek. He's more mild. He's your average guy. 
but he's got just a soft heart. You can see it. Uh, last week we looked at this account in John 6 where Jesus is going to feed this crowd and, and he tests Philip by asking him, where, where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to buy enough? And Philip says in uh, verse 7 there of John 6, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. John, Philip fails the test. And Andrew passes the test, even though he doesn't got a clue what's going to happen. Another of his disciples, this is the next verse, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five loaves, five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? He still doesn't totally get it, but he says, well, here's a possibility, Lord, and the Lord, is Jesus, is pleased by that. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaf, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So Andrew just has a simple, almost childlike, soft heart and faith. Andrew is another case where some Greeks or some people who are non-Jewish wanted to see Jesus. In John chapter 12, they came to Philip, these, these non-Jews, these Greeks, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew because, again, Philip being a little slow, what should I do? And Philip says, let's see, they want to see Jesus and Jesus likes to see people who like to see him. So I got an idea. idea. Why don't we bring them to Jesus? Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and these people come to Jesus, which is, by the way, one of my favorite lines in the Bible is, we would like to see Jesus. Isn't that a great phrase? What do you want? We just would like to see Jesus. That's about all we know about Andrew. Tradition tells us that Andrew was uh, stoned and then crucified. Uh, tradition tells us that John, the Apostle John, I didn't mention this, but the Apostle John lived out his life, probably in old age, in exile. He wrote the book of Revelation late in life. He wrote the book of John much later than the other Gospels. It's a really different look at the life of Christ. And then we come to big dog, Peter. Peter is by far the leader of the, of the disciples. Peter is one of the boldest. If you read about, if you want to study leadership, study Peter. But Peter wasn't very smart. But he was bold. And he was willing. If you look at, we don't have a time to look at all the accounts of things that happened to Peter. But, you know, like, people rag on Peter because, like, when he gets out of the boat, when Jesus is walking on water, and he starts walking on water, and then he falls in because he starts looking at the waves, people rag on him. Dude, he's the only one of the disciples that gets out of the boat. Everybody else is going, <laughs> you're falling. Dude, I'm the only one who got to experience at all anti-gravity. The rest of you schmutzes are still in the boat. Peter's bold. He takes wild steps. But we're going to watch a transformation process of Peter this morning where Jesus looks at Peter and says, you have the stuff. I've created you to be the leader of my church, but I've got to break you first. And you're going to watch Peter's heart get broken. How does Peter get called? The calling of Peter is an amazing thing. Peter is called, uh, we already saw it, but Luke gives us a real nice up close and personal in how Peter gets called. 
Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sat at the water's edge, or he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I wonder if there's a big pause there. We've done this all night long and we haven't caught anything. But okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, put, the, we'll put the nets down, if that's what you say. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Simon's on his knees. And he's saying, get away from me. I'm a sinner. You don't understand. I'm a fisherman. I, I'm, a, I'm a vile man. You're a holy person. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything and followed him. There's a parallel in the Old Testament of this calling. Who can name it? Who's called? Prophet. Starts with I, ends with Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah is the same way. Get away from me. I have unclean lips. My people have unclean lips. I'm ruined. And Peter says, I'm a, I'm a sinful man, Lord. You need to get away from me. And Jesus says, you're just the kind of guy I want. A guy who everybody will know it's not about you, Peter. Peter had guts. Peter had guts. I already shared with you one account. There's multiple accounts. In John 6, if you read John 6, it's a very long chapter in the book of John, but he, he talks about this eating his flesh and, and all these kinds of hard teachings. And it says in the end of John 6, and actually in verse 66 of John 6, it says, many of the disciples, many of, not the apostles, not the 12 apostles, but many of the disciples decided they weren't going to follow anymore. They were going to leave. This was, this was crazy talk. They'd had enough. And Jesus then says to them in verse 60, um, 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And again, there's probably this moment of silence where they're kind of all thinking, there might be a good game on TV now. There's other things I could do besides squandering my fishing business or my tax collecting business or whatever business I might have. I, this is getting a little weird. And there's this silence. And finally, Simon says something. He says, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else should we possibly go? You have done something in our hearts and set our hearts on fire that you're the only one who could satisfy it. We'll handle some of this weird stuff because you're the one who satisfies us. He's the only one of the disciples who says it. And then all of a sudden, they all follow. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Simon has the guts to say that. Simon has the guts to say it for the first time. Now this probably, John, uh, this account in John probably comes after what happened in Matthew chapter 16 when Peter says for the first time that he's the only one of the disciples to declare, you are the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? You know, if you're a teacher, it's one of those very teachable moments. What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter, this is a high point in Peter's life. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus nicknames him Cephas, which in Aramaic means rock, and in Greek it translates to Petros, which is where we get the word petrified, not like fear, but like petrified wood, means rock. Now, Peter was anything but a rock in the beginning. But Jesus names him the rock. You're the rock, man. And he makes a play on words here. And he says, upon this rock, upon this man, and what he just said, that I am the second person of the Trinity, that I am God in the flesh, the one who's come down here to die for your sins. Upon that statement, I will build my church. That's Matthew 16, verses 18. That's the highest point probably in Peter's entire life. It lasts three verses. In chapter 16, verse 21, Peter goes off shooting his mouth again. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter's going, what? You don't get this. I just said you're God in the flesh. What are you talking about? You're going to be taken over. This is wrong. What are you thinking? And Peter rebukes him. Peter, Peter didn't want him to embarrass him, takes him aside, and he begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He goes from being a rock to Satan in four or five verses. Man, that is manic. Jesus' greatest temptation was that he wouldn't go through the, go through the cross. And Peter is there being used of Satan to say, Jesus, don't do it. You don't have to. Now, what happens to Peter? From that point on, Jesus is in the process of breaking Peter. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus has now been, um, uh, um, excuse me, in, uh, in Luke, Luke chapter 22, Jesus is going to be arrested that evening. He knows it. He knows he's going to be crucified the, the next full day. 
He's going to die for the sins of the world. He knows it. And he looks at Peter in Luke chapter 21, and he says, Simon, and I love how he says it twice. It's endearing. Simon. Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Can you imagine hearing that from Jesus? Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. When you've turned back, strengthen... Strengthen your brothers. But Peter being Peter replies and he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, before morning comes, you will deny me three times. Peter's thinking, no way. If you're familiar with the account of what happens next, they arrest Jesus. Peter takes out his sword. I'm sure he's trying to decapitate the guy, but he's a fisherman, so he completely misses and just takes off his ear. Jesus picks up the ear and heals the guy of this whole legion. There's got to be hundreds of people that come to arrest Jesus. What's what's Peter thinking? He's going to hack the heads off a hundred guys or what? Remember, Peter may be stupid, but he's bold. Then Jesus gets arrested. And he's he's on trial. And James, excuse me, and John and Peter are the only two who have the guts to follow. The rest go, see ya. John and, and Peter, the only two that have the guts to follow. And they get in that inner circle where they can see Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 54 picks up and it says, Then seizing him, that's Christ, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of him. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. In other versions, it says he, he called down curses upon himself. He starts talking fisherman language. So he won't, I'm not a follower of that. Jesus reckon, smack and reckon, whatever he starts saying. So they think, I'm not really a follower. He denies him totally. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. Look at verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That's intense. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the cock crows today. You will disown me three times. He went outside and he just wept. In, chap- in John chapter 21, 
Peter is bummed because of what he did. Everybody else scatters. Peter and John are the only ones to have the guts to follow. He's the only one to fight. Everyone else doesn't fight. He fights. And yet Peter is bummed. So Jesus has a little one-to-one time with Jesus or with Peter, and he reconciles him to himself. John chapter 21 <clears throat> says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, <clears throat> Simon, <clears throat> excuse me. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Real interesting phrase there. I want to hurt Jesus was that when he heard him for the third time, deny him, called on curses upon him. But Peter's hurt here too. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Tradition tells us that Peter was killed in the wrath of Nero. About the same time the apostle Paul was. And he was sentenced to be crucified. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified. He has to be crucified upside down. Then Jesus fully reinstates him and he says, then he said to him, follow me. Four guys, simple people, ordinary people. But when they let the life of Christ into their life, it transforms them. They are different. They are different on the other side after meeting Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you're sitting out in the boat, this morning Christ is saying to you, follow me. And he's asking you to leave your nets and your father Zebedee sitting there and to follow him. To join in this life of transformation. If you're here this morning and you want to trust Christ for the very first time, you could do it right where you're seated. You could just say, Lord, I want to follow you. I take you as my sin bearer. I lay that down. Just like Peter, he had to come to the point where he realized, I'm a sinner. Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, no, I want sinners, but I I want people who will trust in me as their Savior. If you're willing to do that, you could become a follower of Christ right where you're seated right now, just by talking with Christ that way. Others of you in this room are like where Peter and the whole group was at in John 6. You're wondering whether it's worth it or not. This whole following Christ thing is getting confusing at times. And Jesus is asking you too, just like he asked the disciples. Are you two going to leave? It's an open door. If you want to go, you can go. And is your response like Peter? I don't know where else to go. You have spoiled me with things that only you can satisfy. 
Are you at that point where you're saying, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I'm hurting, but I don't know where else to go. You have the words of the eternal life. Or maybe you, this week or this month or this year, maybe you feel like you're at a point where you've seriously let your Lord down. Like Peter. And as, even, as, even as I'm talking about it, you can identify with Peter and say, I just want to go outside right now and weep. Because I feel like the Lord's looking right at me in those times when I've denied Him or turned my back on Him. The word for you is the same as it was for Peter. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Follow me. It's an open invitation. It's very appropriate that we have communion this week because communion is an opportunity to say, come, come, those who have sinned against me, come and be restored. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, you are in the the transformation business. And Lord, there are 300 some odd people and more in the kids' ministries and other places in this building right now. God, we ask collectively that you'd transform us. But transformation comes at a cost. And we look at Peter and his transformation came through breaking. And some of us, Lord, this morning, even though it's the most frightening thing we could possibly ask, we ask that you'd break us. We'd ask that you'd take us to that point where we need to be taken to be broken and then to be put back together. And as we're going to follow Peter now in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, what an amazing man of God he is as he trusts you. But he had to be broken like a wild horse first. Lord, there are other of us in this room for the first time in our lives. We're being wooed into being followers of you. For the first time in our lives, we're saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to do it. Lord, would you give those in this room who, who are in that boat, literally, who are in that boat, God, would you give them the courage to step out of the boat to say, Lord, I am a sinner and then I need you right now. Come into my life. Take control. Would you do that, Father, right now? And Lord, many of us are at a point where we're just confused and following you in a confusing world. Would you have us hang on to those words of Peter? Where else should we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. We don't know where else to go. Would you show yourself to us, even as we worship and as we celebrate communion together? We pray this in Christ's name.